everyone. Hello and welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. My name's Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hudson. And thank you so much for joining us for episode two of AIDS Map Chat, our weekly discussion where we'll be chatting with people from around the world about issues around HIV, particularly at the time of this current COVID crisis. And we've got a great lineup of guests today. Uh, we have uh, Dazon Dixon uh, Diallo of Sister Love in Atlanta, Georgia. We have Idris Mwendwa of HIV and AIDS Alliance, uh, People's Alliance of Kenya, and Dr. Tristan Barber, who's an HIV clinician at the Royal Free Hospital. We have an absolutely fantastic panel. So, Matthew, how are things going in lockdown London for you at the minute? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was talking to a friend uh, today, and I was saying that it's a little bit like a mental health whack-a-mole. Is that every time you feel that you <laughs> you've, you've got on top of everything, <laughs> you you read something or you hear something or someone uh, it, someone a friend of yours is affected, and you suddenly go, oh gosh, this is really intense and it's really heavy. But all that said, I went on my first run today. Uh, well, my first run all week. Um, and in fact, it was my first time outside the house all week. Um, and it sometimes you just realise that how how little we appreciated all these things and we took them for granted. You know, things like going outside and then I know. you do it. And... <laughs> no, absolutely. And there's been some interesting stuff happening in the news in relation to HIV this week. Obviously, there's the issue about people in the UK living with HIV receiving notifications that they should shield despite having you know um, really good immunity. Um, have you yeah. received one of those letters? Yeah I, I didn't get one of those I'm not going to take it personally because they were <laughs> I think they were just sent an error. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I think I mean, it's, it, I mean the, the really sad thing is that I know lots of people received those and have been really you know panicked by it um, but the advice from the British HIV Association remains the same, that if you are living with HIV, you're on treatment, and if your immune system remains robust, you have CD4, it's not even above 200. The British HIV Association says so long as the CD4 remains above 50, then and you have no other underlying health conditions or other reasons to shield, and of course that's really important, then you don't mm -hmm. need to self-shield. It's that kind of tricky thing because I think what we're seeing with this and with so much information out there and that same level of information, there's also a huge level of misinformation out there, which is why it's really important that people, especially people with HIV who may have additional concerns, get mm -hmm. your information from trusted sources, go to AIDS map, obviously, I would say that it's an excellent <laughs> website yes, full absolutely. of you know, incisive journalism. Um, or also go to THT or go to the British HIV Association or go to HIV Scotland. I mean, there are some wonderful sources of information out there, but make sure you go to a trusted source because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Absolutely. And bearing in mind that many of our viewers are from all around the world and there's going to be different guidelines depending yeah. on whereabouts you are. Hopefully we can throw Dr. Tristan Barber into the deep end and ask him medical questions about each region of the world when we bring him on later. So without any further ado, I'm absolutely thrilled and excited and a little bit starstruck to welcome Dazon Dixon Giallo from Sister Love in Atlanta, Georgia. You're, you've been one of my heroines for more years than I care to mention. So you've been 
battling for the rights of women living with HIV for over 30 years. Is that right? Very much so, over 35. But wow. I started when I was two. <laughs> of course. Months. Ab two absolutely. Months. And you and I weren't just sharing like menopause stories backstage. Um, it's just <laughs> a what minute people ago told me. It's what somebody yeah. told me. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So how are the, things the, in the, Atlanta? The, the beginning, Susan, five minutes without talking about the menopause. They're just like really <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, I'm not menopausal. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how are things in Georgia? Um. Well, first of all, thank you so very much for that lovely intro. And um, I and. You know, London is now my sister love third home. So thanks to Marion with Dibia, I have a twin in your yes. city. And so uh, I'm very, I am very excited to have this conversation. And here in Georgia, uh, I will not sugarcoat it. Uh, personally, I am fine. I am good mm -hmm. because I don't have children. I have a four legged monster uh, mm -hmm. who he's, he's just a little sweet asshole. But other than that, he's a good guy. <laughs> he might not start making a lot of noise because they're going to let the kids out of homeschool because the mother's going to kick them all out of the house in a minute. Right. But, the, but we're in a really tough situation here. We have a rudderless uh, leader in terms of responding to COVID. We have a gutted health system and safety, social safety net. I think the only, and I'm just being, you know, as fully transparent as I can here because I don't have, mm -hmm any Fs to give right now. I'm so angry. Um, we are sitting in a state where before finally being forced, basically by the fact that numbers were rising and people were dying, we had a governor who literally said two weeks ago that he had no idea that uh, people who were asymptomatic could also uh, be uh, infectious or spreading the, the virus. And it's just inconceivably mind-blowing how not only asinine is that for you to even be that ignorant, but for mm -hmm. you to even be dumber to say it on national television is even worse for the whole state. So we're in a tough situation. Our safety right. net is shredded. Our people living with HIV, they still have home housing issues the same way they did before. When we have space capacity, we just don't have leadership and administrative capacity to actually, or policy to move people off the streets and into safer places. We have more than, a, in the state of Georgia, roughly, I'd say about 55 to 60% of our people living with HIV are, o are over the age of 50. Right. So the the what you all are talking about, I love listening to the Queen's English because y'all know we speak the King's English. But when listening to you talk about people shielding, um, what we're very clear about is we're just being very universal about it simply because mm -hmm. so many of our people, especially since most of our folks are going to be black and brown. And as you can see with COVID, 70% of the people with COVID in this country who are dying are black Americans. So we've got uh, a lot of underlying issues that nobody was paying attention to, but COVID is definitely paying attention to them and using that to take our people out. So that's what's happening with us in Georgia is we're fighting a system at the same time as fighting a virus that people don't believe in because they can't see. So they're still having birthday parties two doors down from me with children in bouncy wow. houses. Right. So 
yeah, that, that that's terrifying. But um, also, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, what are what are your your main concerns for women living with HIV in terms of um, coping with the, the COVID crisis? So that actually sounds like it should be a straightforward question, but it's actually kind of loaded because women living with HIV, just like everybody else, especially in our state, are not monolithic, right? So for people who are already in the safety net of Ryan White services and programs mm -hmm. like that, people, the HIV services that are funded publicly and provided for the most part free, are holding their front. They're holding their ground. They're providing services. Clinics are open. People are still getting tested. People are getting prescriptions filled, that sort of thing. The governmental funding system is still operating. If you are in that situation where you don't have health insurance, where you are still not eligible or can't afford it, and with all of the unemployment that we have, I don't know if you all know, but we just had another 5 million uh, people apply for unemployment. So we're now at about 22 million a new unemployment applications in the last three weeks, 22 million people. And so with women being the most of those industries, restaurant industries, the schools are closed, um, community-based organizations are that aren't in essential services. So for the poverty issues, food access are real critical for women, but that's everybody. What we already know is that we already have escalation of gender-based violence, of domestic violence. There have even been sexual assaults that have uh, we've been answering calls for to send to uh, rape crisis programs uh, and to get involved. The domestic violence shelters are barely able to operate because they can't all keep up with all of the standards mm -hmm. with different people coming and not having all of the equipment to pre-screen people or get them COVID clear before they come into shelters. So we're really, really frightened. And at the same time, we're still getting daily calls from women about HIV testing and for STIs mm -hmm. and for unintended pregnancies and where can they go and what to do. And so we're seeing people to the best that we can, but it's really all virtual. I had my very own first telehealth visit on Monday. I don't have COVID, but I had the damn nerve to go and get some kind of tick infection, tick illness. So, cause oh. I have a dog cause it's yeah. springtime and you know, we're inside and the grass is high. So it's, it's, um, but with the women in my state for whom we're about 85% uh, African-American representing the HIV among women in the state of Georgia, we are keeping up with our support groups online. We are keeping up with our testing. We are keeping up with our clients who stay in touch with us. And we're also staying in touch with those that we're still engaging in our research projects. We're mm -hmm. running focus groups virtually right now. So all of that is we're doing everything that we can. What I do want to lay out, too, is not just the people but the people who are serving the people, because right. a lot of my staff are also people living with HIV, lupus, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, you name it. And so we're doing a whole lot of extra work, uh, extra fun. We have an RJ uh, online book club right now. So we're, we're reading books about sexual and reproductive justice to keep ourselves socially connected. So that's what's going on here. And it has been a trip. So um, we, ha I have participated with uh, Columbia University. If folks haven't seen it, we've got a, mm -hmm. a thought piece out on medium.com about how we have been here before. So that's the other thing that we're having conversations is with our young people. Because 
every day, um, well, the first week that we were shut down, two people, one of them was one of our leading women, a positive woman leader in Texas who passed away uh, with COVID, but never getting that diagnosis. We also uh, suffered the loss of Dr. Gita Ramji um, oh. in South Africa, who actually was in London at the time because she's now she was at Arm Institute. So those two happened in the same 24 hours. And I got the slam like I was back in 1993, 94, mm. when we were getting calls or getting notices or beepers. Remember, we had pagers back then yeah. every day that either someone we love, someone we knew, someone that we have were friends or colleagues with who knew and loved someone, death notices every day. And I felt I was so triggered by that trauma. And I didn't know how to express it because nobody on my staff other than me went through that so directly because sure. I'm the oldest one, uh, um, oldest, lo longest staff member. But most of my staff are also under 40. So they've never been through anything like this where they have to look at how people are suffering under this kind of pandemic. And so we're doing as much as we can to remember what we had to draw in terms of our own resilience to get through that fight, but to stay in the fight, because this is a very new kind of fight for us in, the, in this country. It's a fight against uh, losing our democracy which they are working to undermine just as we're trying to save people's lives. And at the same time, we're fighting something that for the everyday person, they just cannot fathom something this mm -hmm. insipid to be that dangerous and nobody knows where it is or where it's coming from. And so the anxiety and the fright that would come along with grief and not being able to bury your loved ones yeah. to be with them in their last moments, it's so difficult. It's so difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's beyond um, yeah. anything people can actually manage and handle and no. deal with, but they can. And so we have to remember how we actually did that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dazon. Thank that you for having me. Absolutely wonderful. And hopefully see you soon when we're all, all right. and give you like a, a real Same hug to rather you. than a virtual hug. I okay, know, well, right? Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, so I would, that was incredible. Um, next, we'd like to bring on Idris in Mombasa. Hey. Hello, Idris, how are you doing? Hi. Hello, I'm good, how are Hi. you guys? Wonderful to have you on. Uh, Idris is Programme Manager at HAPA, the HIV and AIDS Programme Alliance. Am I... People's Alliance. <laughs> People's. <laughs> Getting all my yeah, acronyms. Right, um, Idris, I got your back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so how are things yeah. in beautiful, beautiful Mombasa, Idris? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. So here in Mombasa and Kenya at large, I'll say the COVID-19 issue has been a blow and um, terrifying as it is. And so far we are catching up and um, we, are, we are sad uh, to have like 234 cases of traces of people who have been, uh, who have contacted uh, COVID-19. And sadly we have like 11 deaths. Uh, however, uh, for the community that I work with, uh, that is the mostly LGBTI community, I'll say for, for the state right now on COVID-19, it's an issue that is really devastating, putting in mind that this is a group that uh, generally is isolated. 
and you realize uh, with these issues that are coming up, uh, we, are, we are left wondering where to go, what to do. Uh, it's a all a confusing moment. Uh, right now, I'll tell you in Kenya, we, we have curfews uh, running from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning. And you can imagine uh, we have a community which we work with. Some work from the street, some as sex workers. Uh, mm -hmm. Others are homeless. Uh, not everyone was an ideal home. And right now they're expected to be home where they don't even have any home to be in. So honestly, uh, it, it's really, it's really, it's really frustrating and mind blowing as as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And and you mentioned um, sex workers. I mean, what impact is uh, COVID nineteen having on sex workers in in Kenya at the minute? Actually, if you figure out the issues of income income you know like that's their source of income for example being in the streets being in the hotspots hotspots these are places where uh, the sex workers conduct their daily businesses that's where they source their clients and maybe others are also uh, the places where they're going to conduct like the actual business and you realize these places right now are locked these are people with families some of children and mm -hmm. even getting basic need as a whole uh, you realize just a simple dinner, food, you know, like food, clothing, uh, and even the COVID-19 uh, commodities which someone needs to protect themselves, like masks and uh, uh, gloves and maybe sanitizers, even a decent uh, hand wash. It's the thing maybe they cannot afford at this time. And uh, it has affected business at large because... Uh, and, and also you realize there are some who are experiencing like harassment from the streets right now because they're trying to navigate on how they can get a livelihood and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like income. But then it's really, it's really challenging in that they can't work at night totally. So they have to right. find a way to survive during the day. Mm -hmm. And then with the states at which, you know, having a criminalizing, <laughs> cre mm -hmm. it, it, you know, a criminalizing, um law in kenya you know these unfavorable laws you realize these community members uh experience violence and uh right now they they, they don't know where to turn to luckily uh where i work from we're working with uh, an, an hotline number where where we're going to where we're going to respond on issues of people who have been violated from and at least that's for the lgbti and the sex workers that we work with uh, we also emphasizing and encouraging our members for those who are living with HIV to go for drug refills, you know, like the RT refills, at least get a stock for like three months. Yeah. And also we are, for the people who are coming to the center, we are distributing uh, masks, masks and also hand sanitizers and some gloves for those who need. Uh, apart from that, we make sure that our community members who right now cannot ad adequately get uh, sexual reproductive health services we try and run our clinic uh, so our clinic is open for working clients who have any issues and it is with uh, of course the, the the assistance of our peer educators who are on the ground who are uh, telling their them that cohort that you know they are, our clinic is still on and you can come and uh, you can come and maybe because I, I, I know that from last week we get quite a large audience um you know around the world for this broadcast which is fantastic um yeah. well, I, I, obviously with um 
homosexuality being a felony under Kenyan law. Uh, I guess it must be very hard for, for your for the for LGBT communities to uh, communicate and coordinate. I mean, what message do you have for LGBT communities in Kenya at the moment? So right now, the LGBT communities, in that we have uh, we have networks and we have the way we communicate and even organize as a, as a marginalized population. We've been emphasizing to our members to first understand the the current issue. Like, uh, we'll not assume like every member understands what is the current issue, what COVID has to do, uh, the you know, like rep rep repercussions which comes with it if you're infected, for example. So our community members across the country are use the community-based organizations are playing a key role to make sure that our community members get information. And that is with the, of course, like I mentioned earlier, our peer educators who are doing a great job because these people have a court of at least 40 per person or even more. These are networked individuals. So you realize they will always go to their networks, they make calls, you know, and we are trying to make sure that we disseminate information and sensitize our communities. And also the community members organization through the networks, uh, through the through every, you know, any existing networks that we, we do have, we're making sure that uh, we are together in unity to just understand what the situation is and to try and mitigate issues that are arising every day. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, oh, thank you so much, Idris. Thank We're you. getting like lots of people are saying like, you know, what incredible, great work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Hopefully it. I'll see you uh, in, in London soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish to be back. It was nice of course coming to London, meeting you. And James Carl, they give yes. they give a James Carl. Uh, yeah, I will indeed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank so you. So looking forward to talking. Thank you, Idris. And um, our next guest who's coming up is uh, Dr. Tristan Barber, who's a HIV clinician at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Um, Hi, Tristan. And you're actually speaking to us from the Royal Free Hospital. So is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Thanks so much for having me. And also to Idris and Daisel, and I agree, two fantastic uh, speakers to go after. So uh, thank you very much for inviting them. Yeah, well, uh, yes. Yeah, so big boots to fill there, here, Tristan. <laughs> um, what's the most frequent question you're getting from your HIV positive patients at the moment? Uh, I think the most frequent question we're getting remains uh, whether or not people need to take special precautions uh, about um, protecting themselves from coronavirus given their HIV status. Uh, people are still confused about some of the shielding uh, criteria versus social distancing and so on. Uh, and also people asking about their routine care, uh, future appointments, and whether or not their antiretrovirals will protect them in any way from, um, from being infected with COVID-19. And what, 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 if someone is living with HIV and they become ill, maybe not HIV related, maybe not uh, COVID related, um, but what, what, you know, recognizing that there's a lot of disruption to clinical services, what, what, what's, what's your advice to them? I think our main advice remains that you know we are open. Uh, we're not seeing people immediately face to face where possible to protect uh, them mainly from having to obviously travel outside the home, travel to hospitals and so on. But we're here, we're staffed and we're here for telephone advice uh, and we will guide people uh, to the right place uh, to receive direct care if they need to receive it. So if someone needs to come in and be assessed, certainly in our clinic, we'll advise them to come in and when to come. Uh, if someone needs to go to accident and emergency, we'll advise them to do that. If someone needs some other source of advice, we can help them as well. 
And we also have nursing staff, psychologists, and obviously colleagues in the voluntary sector are also helping to support people with uh, mental health. Obviously, a lot of people are quite anxious at the moment. They can feel quite isolated. Uh, as days on touched on, lots of people are feeling triggered about memories of uh, previous living through, uh, you know, the AIDS era and uh, death and loss and isolation and illness and restriction of freedoms. All those issues are coming up. Uh, so we also have people that can phone those people on a weekly uh, or a daily basis uh, initially if they're really struggling to help support them. So we have a number of um, uh, different services rather than necessarily all face to face. And people just need to phone us up uh, if they have a problem to be directed to those. And obviously that will vary uh, depending on what your own individual clinic is able to offer. But some of the uh, voluntary sector support uh, is obviously national uh, or regional uh, and can be accessed by people that, from different clinics as well. Brilliant. Um, I'll catch a, a question through um, from some of the service users at Positively UK who are saying that, you know, that they have a, a you know, that they're very stable in, in terms of their CD4 count and viral load. And they're a bit concerned about when it comes to getting their medication next time. Will they still need to go and have the have blood tests? Because they're a bit worried about going. Yeah, sure. No, completely. I think this is managed, you know, on a clinic by clinic basis. But the majority of clinics, uh, including our own at the moment, are uh, offering telephone appointments or virtual appointments uh, and then posting out medication. And that's whether you were previously established on a healthcare at home system or whether you've not had postal uh, medication before. Uh, lots of clinics have uh, set up rapidly systems where they can post out medication to you. So uh, it will depend on what your local clinic is offering, but there should be ways for you to receive your medication that do not involve uh, you traveling to your clinic or having blood tests, particularly if you've previously been very uh, stable, as we say, on your antiretroviral therapy with an undetectable viral load and good CD4 count. I, I had my meds delivered to me this morning. And you know what? Because I've been saying to people, I've been saying, like, make sure you have at least 30 days worth of meds at home. And then I kind of went, oh, I should go and count mine up and realize <laughs> I had a little bit less than that. And I was like, oh, I'm really bad at taking my own advice. So anyway, I got on the phone. They were very, <laughs> they were, fortunately, they're really quick. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can. A couple of weeks left. But, I can uh, back but, that up because when when Matthew when we were actually having a, a Zoom meeting and then he was like, oh, actually I have to get up. It's my meds that have been delivered, and I have to say when he got up, I noticed that he wasn't wearing trousers. He was actually wearing shorts. <laughs> well, I think I did well because I wasn't actually wearing, you know, my tutu or chaps like I normally do for Zoom meetings. Um, I can assure you I'm fully trousered now. It's not the first time we've seen Matthew's knees if you follow his Twitter feed. <laughs> Um, so Tristan, you, you, you're, you're actually getting redeployed to Nightingale Hospital next week, is that right? Uh, so I've done the uh, induction training for NHS Nightingale, which is a, a, a pop-up hospital, if you like, that the Army and the NHS have been collaborating on that's opening uh, in East London at the XL Conference Centre. Uh, I've undertaken my induction training there and I'm awaiting uh, some possible shifts and it's looking like those might be towards the end of next week or the following weekend. Tristan, you know how much uh, the country is behind our NHS and we really thank you for all that you're doing for us. Um, and I will be out on my balcony uh, applauding yeah. later on tonight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Tristan. Wow. Uh -huh. Oh, gosh.
That was, wow. What incredible, inspirational guests. But looking at time, I can't believe it. I think we've actually run out of time. We're going to have to wrap up now. So I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of our guests. Um, You've been absolutely incredible. Thank you to Disruptive Live for your support. Um, and next week, we've got some incredible guests already lined up. We have Bitty Alimi, who is yeah, an angelic troublemaker. He is an activist for the rights of LGBT people in Nigeria and a podcaster. And we also have the president of the International AIDS Society, Dr. Anton Pozniak. Dr. Anton Pozniak. <laughs> he will kill me. Um, I apologize, Anton. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. I hope you can join us next well, week. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Acast, iTunes, or Spotify.